The Communist Manifesto is one of the best-known books in modern history. Having said that, most people who've heard of it haven't read it, and many who have read it will have questions about its contents. The German sociologist Max Weber, for instance, dismissed it, saying, The so-called materialistic conception of history, with the crude elements of genius of the early form, which appeared, for instance, in the Communist Manifesto, still prevails only in the minds of laymen and dilettantes. Well, I'm assuming that if you're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, you're not a dilettante, but you still may have questions. So in this episode, we're going to look at the arguments put forward by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels in this pamphlet published 174 years ago in 1848. And to introduce us to the Communist Manifesto, I'm talking to Solidarity member Fei Zhang. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity, and we're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Nam, or Melbourne. So welcome, Faye. David, thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning, perhaps, with explaining who Marx and Engels were and how they came to write the manifesto in 1848. So what's the context? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for any person at the moment interested in radical ideas or social change, um, there is a pull towards understanding Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. Um, I think particularly at the moment, as the world just feels like it's going to, you know, one crisis from one crisis to the next and um, getting worse. Um, And I think that was really what was happening when Marx and Engels um, came to write the manifesto in 1848. Um, So they they didn't just get their ideas out of nowhere, but really they were writing their ideas in a period of immense crisis um, where Europe um, at that time was aflame with crisis and rebellion and revolution. And in 1848, um, there was actually an uprising that broke out in Paris um, and the feeling that revolution was spreading rapidly across the continent. And this was, you know, a period of great change in the world where really you were seeing the emergence of industrial capitalism, the system that we live in for the first time. And so the revolutions weren't um, against the existing bosses, but um, when new bosses trying to get rid of the rotten old regimes in Europe run by kings and dictators... And so all kinds of radical discussions and political groups starting to emerge and, you know, insert into this Marx and Engels and um, their, you know, really, I think, um, transformative ideas um, that we know now, now know as Marxism. Who were Marx and Engels, I suppose? I mean, were they just authors or were they activists themselves? Yeah, well, that's um, really the context behind the Communist Manifesto is they're, they're trying to put together um, a new manifesto for the Communist League. Um, so it's a new re- revolutionary organisation, which Marx and Engels had actually formed through arguments with organisations and people involved in the Paris um, uprising. So they, they're very much themselves activists, revolutionaries, um, trying to put together um, a platform for how to, how to transform society and change society in this brutal context of industrial capitalism. So um, they're very much activists um, themselves and not just um, theorists. 
So in some ways that makes the manifesto even more remarkable that it was written as an intervention in a particular period and a particular struggle, and yet we're still reading it with with interest and fascination all these years later. If there's one message in the pamphlet that many people have heard of, it's that the working class can change the world, and Marx and Engels famously sign off with working men of all countries unite. Of course, they were creatures of their time, so they used gendered language. Yet the working class in 1848 was tiny and existed only in parts, really, of Northern Europe and pockets of the Northeast United States. So what did Marx and Engels see in this new class that others didn't? Yeah, so I think it's really important how, you know, you framed the context of Marx and Engels as, you know, they're revolutionaries, activists, interested in actually changing society, getting rid of, you know, all the oppression and um, poverty that they see in the in the factories within, within lunch, London or Manchester. Um, so I think for them, they're seeing this possibility actually within a new oppressed class, within the working class, um, within working within these new factories to actually change society that did not exist before. And... You know, they're able to understand this because, you know, they they are, you know, historians. They've looked at changing um, human societies and they really understand the limitations of previous societies or, the, you know, really for them still current societies of feudalism, of slavery, which were class societies where the majority of people were oppressed and exploited. But there was no way that they could actually take over that society or change that society themselves because they were limited by um, the, the society and the limits of what that society could create. So on one level, um, you know, a limitation was that, for example, under feudalism, you know, Marx famously says that the, the limitations of the society were the linings of the feudal lord, um, that there was never enough um, surplus developed to actually sustainably create a new society. Uh, there was never the technology that was developed to fully, you know, d- deliver for the needs of everyone in that society. Um, or you could look at the, um, the limits of the slave system where, you know, it was a direct brutal oppression that was met by, um, you know, a totalitarian system where people were not drawn together in the way that they were under the new industrial system of capitalism where people were drawn together, um, you know, in, in a so-called free way, but really they were disciplined to produce profit for um, these new industrialists, um, industrial capitalists and bosses in London, a new kind of ruling class. So they were beginning to see, I think, through their through their activity and their activism, but also their analysis of um, history and human society that actually... For the first time, we're, we're starting to see a society where there is enough wealth, where the oppressed class do have a lot of power being drawn into um, factories to produce profit. And maybe these people can actually take over society and run them in a different way in the interest of everyone. Obviously, other writers, radical writers of the time, knew there was a working class, but it was that ability of the workers to organise and fight back that uh, Marx and Engels saw and that was different. Uh, There was uh, a revolt a few years before they wrote the manifesto by weavers in the German region of Silesia. And I think that had a big impact on them. They saw that they weren't just impoverished victims of a system, but they were capable of organising and fighting back. Is, Is that what you see as well? 
Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, they were very much in- influenced by the Chartist movements that are emerging around political rights. Um, they, you know, they did see the uprisings in happening across Europe um, and that there was that possibility to actually transform society by striking, by stopping, you know, the profits running in the system. Um, that there was an immense power there within the ability of workers to get that kind of profit. Um, to make that surplus, they could actually stop the system um, together as well. And the other thing about working men of all countries unite is that it actually has a global vision, which is one of the most remarkable things, that Marx and Engels picked up on a phenomenon that was in a tiny proportion of the world, and they said, this is the future, the future for humanity. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's... You know, one of the amazing things about when you read the, the Communist Manifesto as well is that there's so much that's, you know, relevant to today that you can, um, you know, you can see today how interlinked the international system of capitalism is and how much um, social transformation needs to happen on a global level and that they were able to try and, you know, weld this together at the time. But I think that's also from, you know, the kind of uprisings and rebellions that were happening across Europe influencing them as well. Now, my copy of the manifesto has an introduction by the Russian revolutionary Leon Trotsky. And Trotsky argues, and this is a quote, obviously, the materialist conception of history, discovered by Marx only a short while before and applied with consummate skill in the manifesto, has completely withstood the test of events and the blows of hostile criticism. So can you explain to us what is meant by the materialist conception? Yeah, so Marx obviously was not the first person to see the world, you know, in a materialist way that, you know, the actual structures of society, um, the economic system, um, you know, really influences the way that the world is. But I think what's really, um, you know, transformative about Marx's perspective is that he sees um, changes in economic systems in such a clear way that is very dynamic so he brought a dynamism to understanding materialism, which is often called historical materialism. And yeah, I think it's really, you know, there's, there has been, there was no one that was able to understand it in a way that was dynamic, that understood that changes in the material world, so changes mainly in the way that we get, um, you know, in the most important way, get our um, means of livelihood. So, you know, under feudal lords, that was extracting surplus from peasants. Under capitalism, that's workers working for wage to make profits for bosses. Um, that This structures the whole of the society we live in, but actually there can be tensions within, within that structure um, and within changes in the way that we get our livelihoods that can propel, um, propel change. But this isn't just a linear process and happens through revolutions. Um, and so this is what happened. Well, this is what was happening at the time that Marx and Engels were writing the Communist Manifesto, that there, was a, there were revolutions happening by actually the new capitalist classes against um, the existing feudal systems and trying to create a new system. So, you know, that, that understanding of revolutionary change, of dynamism in um, the economic and economic structure that influences the political structures, um, you know, proves to be very important for understanding why actually there can be a different system um, from capitalism that workers could play that kind of role in um, revolutionising the society that we live in. 
The manifesto is very complimentary about capitalism and Marx and Engels spend several pages praising its dynamism. I remember the very first time I read the manifesto, that really struck me. It's not what I was expecting to read. But at the same time as they're complimentary about the dynamism of capitalism, they argue it has to be overthrown. So can you take us through that argument? Yeah, I think um, it's not to be understated the kind of, you know, world that people did live in um, prior to capitalism where you actually, you know, depended on the seasons as to whether you could be fed in, you know, in your um, community, in your, um, you know, in your in your feudal family, that there was um, no way that actually a lot of, you know, for example, feudal uprisings, uprisings could be successful because there wasn't, you know, already existing ways that people could join together and take advantage of, you know, the um, the benefits and the surpluses because there was no ongoing way to guarantee its viability. Um, but for the first time, actually, capitalism develops this immensely dynamic, um, profitable system that can deliver overwhelmingly for the majority of people in society. And, you know, that we're talking about, you know, transitions that we know are possible to renewable energy, um, to, you know, feed everyone. But much more than that, you know, the technology that exists to make sure that we have, you know, ex- amazing healthcare and schooling and, you know, probably much more than we could ever conceive of um, working day to day within the limits of our society. Um, but for the first time that this is possible, um, you know, that's not to be understated, That, but the, the limits is really, um, you know, the capitalist system itself. And this is something that, you know, Marx writes about, um, particularly through his economic writings that, um, you know, the, the system has become better on itself because it's only interested in accumulating more and more profits. So even though there's so much that can be done within, within our society now because of how much it's progressed, actually the obsession with profit and competition means that that isn't being put into, you know, actually delivering um, for the needs of people and um, society in general. Marx and Engels also argue that the class struggle, in fact, this is how they open the pamphlet, that class struggle is the driving force of recorded human history. And in the pamphlet, they argue that in modern times, in in the capitalist era, the working class alone is a revolutionary class. So why did they say that? And does that argument still apply today? People often doubt that even class structures uh, still exist in the way that Marx and Engels experienced them. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, you know, for people interested in social change, there's firstly appreciating the importance of that analytical argument from Marx and Engels that that they have this really clear and dynamic way of understanding how that class struggle has um, has determined how societies um, change. So, you know, in the, in the um, transition between slavery to feudalism, from feudalism to capitalism, there was a struggle over um, what kind of who was going to benefit and what kind of mode of production was was going to be the one that um, won over to structure the entire society. And that's a really important, you know. Um, way of being able to understand changes in human history and that is really critical for you know their understanding of why the working class is a revolutionary 
class because it doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't just say the society, you know, they're not just saying capitalism is bad, therefore we need to overthrow it. Actually, it comes from this analytical understanding of, of human history and class struggle that's, that's, you know, informed how previous class systems have changed. And the dominant class um, antagonism now is between the working class and the ruling class. So who is going to win out from that? from that struggle. Um, and if we know that inherent within, you know, um, class society is a tension, that there has to be some kind of resolution to this process, then, you know, we understand that the, the working class can be a revolutionary class because it has that ability to, um, as the people that, um, as we are the people that um, work in, you know, within the economic mode of production to produce profit, actually, use that in our power to overturn society by striking, by walking out and creating a new society. Um, and that has been, I think, um, proven as possible, you know, many times since Marx and Engels have written um, the Communist Manifesto. And, you know, they were really, really, I think, the starting point for us to understand really this, this over a century of um, revolutionary movements that have happened in the working class, although, you know, although none of them have been entirely successful. But the working class has changed, or on the surface it's changed, since 1848, since Marx and Engels wrote about its revolutionary potential. So in Australia today, manufacturing is a fairly small section of the economy, and in terms of employment, it seems to be shrinking consistently. Many people are white-collar employees, they work in schools and hospitals and shops and offices. so is the working class today still the same kind of force that Marx and Engels identified? Yeah, definitely. I think, if anything, today the working class um, is is at least over half the world's population and much more you know, dominant part of the population than at the time of Marx and Engels when it was just a burgeoning um, social force. And it's, I think it's important to distinguish between the class structure and class struggle, um, because class struggle is often when um, the importance of class becomes clear to people, when you see people on strike, when you see people fighting, um, walking out of their workplaces and fighting, and you see high levels of, you know, union strikes across um, across the world. Um, that can make it obvious that, that class struggle exists, but actually it doesn't, even if when, that, but when that's not happening, so when you have low levels of strikes like there has been for a long time, in Australia, until very recently, the recent spike in teachers and nurses striking, but it doesn't change the structure that, that exists where fundamentally it's a relationship where workers have to sell their ability to work um, to get their means of subsistence. So, you know, people had to do this as um, peasants or as slaves. They had to, to sell themselves in some way to, um, to survive. But under capitalism, it's a free so-called free system, but we sell ourselves for a wage um, and we make that profit for capitalists um, or we, you know, we could, we assist in teaching next generation of workers so that the capitalist system can continue. But we still have to, day in, day out, um, sell ourselves for a wage to, to be able to survive in the system. So I think very much that class structure is there, whether it will be realised um, and whether people will fight around that, um, that's up to, I think that's up to us. Yeah, very much so. I mean, the, every generation has to learn and relearn the lessons and 
looking around the world, it's so inspiring to see the first Amazon warehouse unionised in the United States, uh, to see Starbucks being unionised over and over again. And I'm, you know, there's obviously every possibility that exactly the same process can and should happen here. Now, critics often say that Marxists today want to establish a minority dictatorial regime. And obviously they're often guided in that thought by the experience of the Stalinist dictatorships. Yet the manifesto is clear that the working class movement that Marx and Engels look to can only be, quote, the self-conscious independent movement of the immense majority in the interests of the immense majority. So why were Marx and Engels so confident in arguing this and why was democracy actually so central to their vision? Yeah, I think, you know, it's important to say like now in 2022, we've seen so many working class movements that have been co-opted or misguided or revolutions pushed into supporting, you know, various governments that were just interested in maintaining their own power rather than looking, you know, to deliver for working class people. And this is all entirely possible today, but I don't think this takes away from, you know, what Marx was writing about, which I think for the first time, it was a really clear manifesto around why working there needed to be um, a movement that was for the working class itself. So not rep- someone representing the new parliament, but um, looking at, you know, representing this working class that was going on strike, that was fighting, you know, the fundamentally transformed society that was fighting within factories to have, you know, some kind of sense of democracy um, and profit back from the bosses. Yeah, so I don't think it changes the fundamental importance um, of what Marx and Engels have discovered. Um, And this, you know, this kind of movement, I think, is um, something that we have not yet seen in, in, you know, a really developed form, except for during the um, Russian Revolution, the revolutionary wave in the 1917, that, you know, we're able to actually build a movement that could, through um, a Soviet system, represent um, democracy from below, where they had, at least in the first couple of years of the revolution, and the recountable um, councils where each, each workplace could have a delegate or a number of people numbers of workers could have a delegate from their workplace that could represent um, their interests in a truly um, democratic way. Um, so you know, when you think about what you've said about the Amazon warehouses or, you know, modern union movements, actually that potential is still there. Um, and by representing working class interests um, rather than, you know, the interests of people in parliament or um, some kind of strategy within parliament, that's the only way that you can, um, I think, And in some ways, the Russian Revolution is confirmation of what the manifesto argues, because when Marx and Engels were talking about the working class movement leading the immense majority in the interest of the the immense majority, they were recognising that there were other classes in society, but workers, when they rose, could overturn everything and lead other oppressed groupings. So in Russia, we saw that though the working class was a minority, they effectively gave the political and uh, an economic lead to the peasantry who were much larger in number, but weren't capable of challenging capitalism in the way that the workers did. So workers don't necessarily have to be an absolute majority in a given country to be able to lead that struggle. 
Yes, definitely. One thing that often confuses readers is where the manifesto says the communists do not form a separate party opposed to other working class parties. And yet we look around in Australia and elsewhere and Marxists are clearly trying to establish parties, often in fierce competition with others. So in trying to build an organisation, build solidarity, have we got something wrong? I think um, what Marx is talking about here is not um, against politics or political parties. Um, he could say anything about Marx. He'd say that he's one of the most political people that you know that has existed. That his whole life was dedicated to building actually political currents and parties and building a political um, revolution. But I think what he's trying to say here is that that so many communists. Um, Think that they or political activists think they can um, create a party, but it doesn't actually represent um, the interests of the working class as a whole. Or, for example, at the time of the Communist Manifesto, um, you know there were many different groupings that were emerging around um, that were based more on uprisings. Um, you know, small smaller groups of people that led to, you know, that were quite involved later on in the Paris Commune, but there needed to actually be at that time an organization that reflected a kind of democracy within um within the working movement working class movement and re reflected um that involvement of people within the working class um rather than little sex or you know different different groupings that more represented a, a middle class within society um so i think what he's talking about here is actually building an open democratic working class party that's needed to, you know, involve working class people to politically transform society. And Marx definitely himself is someone who is involved throughout his life in trying to build um, political parties to, yeah, a, a political working class party. So um, I think that that kind of, the need for that um, exists, uh, you know, as much today as then, if you looked at the outcome of you know, the Paris Commune um, and that inability to really look at the, the power of the working class itself and be able to draw on that, actually that is the only way to create um, an alternative source of power and democracy um, by actually, you know, democratising and looking at where the majority of people are in society and looking at that, that power there. Um, otherwise, you can end up in, you know, little um, sects or within, um, you know, trying to take over parliament um, without looking at the power of the working class um, more generally itself. There is so much crammed into this quite short publication. I really urge listeners to read it for themselves and I'm including a link to an online version in the podcast post, so please dive in. One last question, Faye. Marx and Engels allowed themselves a big flourish. They were writing a manifesto. They were calling people to arms and they really were went hard when they wrote, quote, what the bourgeoisie produces above all is its own grave diggers. Its fall and the victory of the proletariat are equally inevitable. Unfortunately, capitalism is still with us. So were Marx and Engels wrong on the prospects for changing the world? I feel like if Marx and Engels um, could go back in time, then they might rewrite that now because they've been under such immense... Um, criticism for this um, and how it's been used by you know, people with no interest in Marxism like Stalinists or Maoists 
to look at, you know, really dict- dictatorial ways that um, interpretations or ways that they've used, misused Marxism. Um, because what they were writing in the context in which, you know, they thought they were on the brink of revolution, which, you know, there was mass revolution, you know, only like, um, you know, 30, 40 years later across Europe. But I, what, you know, I, but I think what we can take from that is their absolute commitment to building revolutionary organisations, to building, you know, revolutionary movements against oppression and for, you know, genuine, um, genuine equality and, um, you know, to get rid of exploitation under capitalism. And they were arguing for that at the time. They wanted to create a revolution and that was possible. And it's, and you can see now that capitalism is still creating its own grave diggers in terms of, you know, look at, the, the Amazon warehouse workers, or you look at what's happening in China, you look at, you know, the, all the contradictions of climate change and increasing militarism in the region. There's never been, you know, as many, there had never been a better time for people to, be, to become political and to be in tune with all the massive crises that are happening in the world and, and to get involved in working class movements to, to act on that and to actually change that. Um, and, you know, I think for us, we... In solidarity, we not only look at Marx and Engels analytically and understand, um, you know, look to understand their their writing and politics, but also look to act on what they, you know, did throughout their lives, which is try and create political movements and an organisation that that can really understand society and and but also lead um, movements, um, lead working class struggles in, into political organisations that have the power to challenge. You know, the enormous power of, of capitalism itself. Um, so I think there is still so much that's valuable about Marxism today and that's what, we, that's what we're using and putting into our movements and into um, solidarity. That's a great note to finish on. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Lee.